I'm Shoshana Socher, former homeschooling mom turned real estate agent, head honcho of my own real estate team and investor. Let's talk marketing and let's talk real estate. Hey, Kobe, how are you? What's going on? How are you? So Good. excited. This is my first ever and might even be my only ever mother-son podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> sure. Um, on that note, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah. So um, Kobe Socher, obviously I'm your uh, your son. We've been in business together since 2011. Um, you know, I went to high school uh, and had a very serious girlfriend, my now wife, and took a year abroad. After the year abroad, I thought I wanted to go to college. And, you know, my dad, your husband, um, Abe, <laughs> you know, decided to kind of call me when I was in Israel and say, look, like, you know, your mom's having some success in real estate. She's been in it for a couple of years now. She's having a lot of fun. And, you know, you can always go back to school. And he's like, I'll always support you going back to school. But he's like, I think if you're really interested in sales and business, like you've told me you are, he goes, I think one of the best things you might be able to do is actually go try it. And um, I learned in life later, as you and I always joke around, there is no try. But um, <laughs> he said, you know, maybe you'll go work, make some money and you might decide I absolutely love business. And then if you want to go to school and you want to go into business school, that's cool. And if you want to go into, you know, uh, stay in real estate, that's up to you. If you want to go into something else, like we'll support you in however way you want to be, you know, supported in whatever you want to do. But you should go like get into something and then decide to go to school because he's like, you're never going to be. 45 or 50 years old and look back and go, man, I wish I went to college one semester earlier. He's like, but you might look back and go, I wish I had tried this at an actual doing it level before going to school for four years for something that you're not sure if you want to go to. And so I took that advice and um, jumped into real estate. I got my real estate license in 2011. I actually got in in 2010. It took me four tries to pass my real estate license test. Wow. Um, yeah, 18 years old. I remember that. <laughs> 18 years old. I had a really hard time um, reading the books and retaining information and practicing it and actually sitting down and studying at the time. Um, and so it took me a couple of tries. Um, but, uh, you know, once I got it, got right into business, started working with you, and uh, we kind of just started flying, right? I mean, it was like, uh, both you and I have a ton of energy and both you and I ha like to have, you know, a good time. And, you know, we just started going. And I, I, I think I looked back like six months into it going like, oh shit, this is real. Hey, can you go back to the dad piece for a second? Like, why can you explain to the listeners why that was a huge departure for him? Yeah. So my dad's a college professor, um, you know, 10 year college professor, um, now retired, but Overland college, um, and growing up, my dad was in school till I think I was 13. Um, and maybe probably maybe more, more like maybe, no, I'm sorry, until he was 10, until oh, okay. I was 10. So <laughs> when I was 10, um, my dad got his first actual job as a professor. That's when we moved to Ohio from California. So, but growing up, you know, we were in the fanciest schools and the coolest places. Um, you know, he was, uh, getting his master's from Cal and, you know, getting a PhD from Harvard and, you know, uh, doing a dual program and teaching at Stanford and getting, you know, paid to go speak in Oxford. And, you know, we went to uh, Israel for a year and he was, you know, at Jerusalem University writing a book and getting paid to do this and doing all these like really cool academic things. And so my whole life revolved around him being in a college, um, which, you know, looking back, I, I always make the joke, like, I always thought parents um, had 10 weeks off in the summer and six weeks off in the winter <laughs> and then had like a spring vacation and a winter vacation. I didn't realize that was just my dad. Um, so growing yeah. up now, I'm like, where the hell is my 10 week summer? Um, <laughs> that's actually <laughs> super funny. And I didn't know that, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but that being said, like, you know, when your dad, who's been in all of these colleges and been in a huge academic world and been in a place where, you know, um, he understands school at a really high level for him to say that, I think it was like, I didn't take it as like a, it was just like, I, I agreed with it 100%. And okay, it wasn't so a forceful you... thing. He, he said like, he was like, if it was like, it was totally my choice. 
I love that. I love that. I think we tried to raise our kids, you know, you and your siblings like that, like with support for the choices that you made. At least I like to think we did. No, 100%. Um, so when you look back to that first year in real estate, so I know first you were 18, then you were 19 and you're getting your license and you were doing business really kind of before you had your license, but okay. So you got your license and now you're actually going to get paid. How much money did you make? Yeah. Um, so my first year I was living in your basement, having a ton of fun. Um, and that was a joke. Um, <laughs> and my first year I made like a little over $13,000. And, um, at the time, you know, with no expenses, it seemed pretty good, but you know, uh, looking back, obviously that didn't hit the mark. Our, you know, agents come into our business now today and make, you know, 50, 60, potentially, you know, a hundred some people, um, in our team year one. Right. Okay. So, so 13,000, I think it was like $13,400 didn't hit it. But $13,400 felt like a lot of money when you were 19 and had no expenses. Yeah. No expenses. 19. That felt pretty good. Um, and then it was, I think the, push of serious girlfriend, serious girlfriend's parents who respected me, but also were like, look like you're not in school. You're living in your parents' basement. Like, like this isn't like, this doesn't make sense for our daughter. And I think I kind of agreed. I think I always really respected them for that. And I still respect them for that. I have a great relationship with my in-laws. Um, and I think it was like, it wasn't a disrespectful thing the way they put it. I think it was a thing of like, they were like, you, you know, if you're going to take our daughter seriously, you need to take yourself seriously. And I think that just put in this, like, it was like this. I was always driving at like 20 miles per hour, 30 miles per hour. And I wanted, and I, I thought I wanted a big life and I thought I wanted awesome things. And I thought I wanted certain stuff. And like, I think that put it into like super drive a little bit. And I think that's, that was definitely like a pivotal point in my life. I think I've had a couple of different pivotal points in my life or different like turning places where I've said like, okay, this is time to hit the next level and this is time to push and this is the time. And I can kind of pinpoint those times. And I think that's where like, if you now go to where I am today, I don't know if that's what would make sense to talk about. Well, but... we'll get there. I have I have one other question, but I'm going to interrupt you actually, just because yeah. you're talking about pivotal moments and things that one wanted I know you, so when I think about one thing that you wanted when you were say 19 or 20, besides working on building, you know, your adult life, as you've mentioned, you had one consumer good that you wanted. Do you remember what it was? Was it a car? No. I mean, I'm sure you wanted a car, but you had one particular thing that you wanted. If you want a hint, I can hint you. <laughs> All right, hit me. Um, didn't you want a particular kind of shoes? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> I, uh, I definitely, I like, for some reason I, I saw a businessman as somebody who wore Ferragamos and I was like, man, if you wear Ferragamos, you made it. <laughs> and so I think one of my first paychecks, I went to Nordstrom's and swiped like five ninety five for a pair of Ferragamos that I definitely couldn't afford while still living in my parents' basement. And, uh, but, you know, sometimes you need those physical motivations to, to be remind able you. to, yeah. like, get to the other stuff. And I've I've always loved the shiny objects. <laughs> I just think that's such a great story. Okay, so before we get to where you are now compared to where you started, um, can you tell us what, how old were you when you bought your first home? And was it more of an investment or more to live in? Like, what were you thinking when you bought your first home? Yeah, I was 20 years old um, and I um, I bought it to live in. I wanted to move into a house and I wanted to, you know, um, live on my own. And I wanted to kind of put myself in position financially. I thought, I think I thinking at the back in the day, I think I had the mindset of like buying a property would, you know, be a, an investment. Looking back, probably I don't believe fully that your personal home's an investment less the market takes a ride, which it did in my case. So I got really lucky in certain ways to where, you know, my property did turn into an investment, but my mm -hmm. first home at, you know, 19 was really just somewhere for me to live and, and, uh, party, and be on Come my, on, party. And be on my <laughs> own, have friends over. And yeah, it was a good time. How much did you pay for that house? Paid $153,000 for that home. I, I 
took a FHA loan, first time homeowners loan where um, you and my dad co-signed me. Right. And then um, what did you sell it for? Sold it for two twenty five, um, uh, about three and a half, four years later. So like um, at that point, you know, Sharon and I had gotten married and, um, you know, we were ready to move to the next house. It actually happens to be a house down the street came up. It was a great deal. So I moved it. We bought that house. Um, we rented out our current home and we, um, and then after about a year of renting it out, um, I was able to get a builder to buy it for 225, which was kind of like, that was really, so again, like you kind of go into certain things like that, that when we sold that, we had this chunk of cash, mm -hmm. right? And that was the first time where I didn't go buy a shiny object. And I think part of it was I had already had certain shiny objects, right? I'd gotten certain things. I'd gotten the watch. I'd gotten the 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 really expensive ring for for Sharon. And I, you know, Sharon and I had pretty cool cars already, in my opinion. And like, you know, we we're living in a really nice house. And so and we were we we were able to afford because we, you know, dual income, we're both working and the business was going really well at that point for you and I. And so we had the ability to go on vacation, do certain things. So it was like how do we take this chunk, which was about $90,000 in cash and turn it into something? And so mm -hmm. Sharon and I had this conversation, which is like, how do we go get a try income? A dual income's cool. How do we find a try income? Ooh, I love that concept. I don't think we talked so, about this. That's so neat. Yeah. Something Sharon and I talk about all the time is like, how you know, our try income that we had it back in the day. And it was like, so we said, let's go flip a house and let's go make 25K a house. Let's try to do three of them a year, make an extra 75K a year as just like, as a there's a third income coming in. Mm -hmm. And so um, we went and we bought our first house. Um, we used the $90,000. We used savings that Sharon had. We used some credit cards and we flipped our first house. And I think we made about $45,000 on it. And we're like, oh, this is cool. So how is that? How's that like in a marriage doing that together? We, we had a lot of fun. I mean, the first day we closed in the house, we went to Home Depot and we started like buying stuff and loading it into our cars, picking out paint colors, picking out different things. Um, we'd already re renovated, you know, my older house and then my the current house we had lived in so i think we'd kind of had a little bit of background you've been through a couple of renovations at that point mm -hmm. um so i i had kind of been around the real estate industry and renovations but not at like a personal level in terms of investment so did you actually pick up the hammer or no i'm like the least capable person in the world i think one of the best traits that i've had on the investing side which we'll get into at some point is that um I have no interest in picking up the hammer. I have no interest in picking up the paintbrush. Um, and I'm not very capable. My handyman skills are just no good. I mean, I try to put up a baby gate and I ruin the wall. Um, and so um, part of a college professor dad is that uh, some of those things got lost in the mix. So is what you set out to do at 18, 19, 20, is that what you're doing today? And I know you just had a birthday, so happy birthday. Thank you. Um, well, I have a true, like, deep, deep, deep belief. I took a class when I was 18 years old um, called Bold through Keller Williams. And I've always chosen, most things I've chosen in my life, I don't know why, but I choose that if I'm going to do it, I'm all in. It's like either I'm in or I'm all out. And I think you would agree with that. Like, and anybody yes. who knows me knows that, like, if I don't commit to something, it means that, like, I'm just not there. Like I, and, and I'll tell you, I'm not committing to it, but it's not like, there's no, I don't have like a 50, 50 mode. <laughs> um, and so I went to this class called bold and they talked about the concept of living a life by design, not by default. And they okay. talked about the concept of that, like the purpose of money was to live and lead the perfect life. And it didn't necessarily mean like when they were talking about money, it wasn't only about there was certain things about consumer goods, right? But it wasn't just about the Mercedes and the Rolex and the this is and the that is, you know, the different fancy shiny objects. Mm -hmm. A lot of it was about like what you could do for your community, what you could do for how you could give, how you could contribute, how you could, you know, um, win at a high level and give back at a high level. And so I took that really to heart. And I think my overarching concept in my mind still to today is that, you know, my goal in business is create profit. So like, if that means that like next week we pivot and like, there's a boatload of fish that are super cheap and we can sell them for a lot more and, and that's how we're making profit, then I'm good for that. 
um, it happens to be that real estate has been that avenue for us. Um, and I think I got lucky by falling into real estate, especially in an amazing time. Um, and so, you know, right now, I think it's definitely wasn't necessarily, I didn't always thought, I think I'm going to sell houses the rest of my life. I always thought that like, this is what I'm doing to create the profit, to be able to live a life by design, to be able to live a perfect life and to create the money to, to have and get what I need and want for myself and my family. Okay. So does that mean that you're out showing houses every day or like, like, what are you doing on a day to day? So today, 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 right, where, so now let's today? go. Okay. So in my mind, I go from a kid to a husband to a more of an adult. And now I'm 31. So like more of, and a I would dad. Say more of an adult than a dad and then deciding, okay, how do I become a CEO? How do I become a businessman? How do I make this like, how do I start being able to work on a 30,000 foot level versus a 3000 foot level or 5,000 or 10,000? Even if I was making a lot of money at certain times in the 10,000 foot level, how do I go a level above that? And so today what the world looks like is a little different. So we were selling real estate um, and doing really well at it. I mean, there was years I sold 80, 90 homes myself, um, right? And so now on a day-to-day -day basis, um, all of my retail business, I pretty much refer out to our team, Okay. right? There's a couple of- When you deals. say retail, what does that mean? When I say retail business, I mean your uh, buying and selling of homes to a client using your real estate license. Okay, got it. And so um, as an agent, you know, I will still take in leads and deals like, you know, I get a lot of phone calls and they're, you know, want to buy a house in Cleveland, want to sell a house in Cleveland. And I then take those and I refer them to an awesome agent on our team and um, they go ahead and close the deal. Okay. Um, I might stick around in the background and certain elements, they might call me and ask a question here or there, but pretty much that is um, mostly handed off. There's a couple deals here and there. Um, well, where... when you're saying a couple deals, I think you'll probably close about 30 homes this year yourself. Yeah, 30 homes. Um, some of those are on the investment side. So I don't know if you count those. Okay. I would say about 20, 50, I'll sell 15 to 20 retail deals this year, just like close okay. family, friends, like people that I've done past business with that like really want to work with me. Or like if it's over a million dollars, I'll handle a lot of that. So my average price point is probably about 650, 700. Okay. Um, and so... Um, you know, I'll take on some of those, but it, it really, ha it's not necessarily just about the money. It's about the time it takes away. Sure. So that's what I'm doing on the retail side. And then, um, I would say going back a step, I would say the biggest shift and, and like turning point was when I had my son, Ronnie, and I, I think I kind of woke up thinking about every day for six months, as we were pregnant of like, what am I going to do? to secure my family. And at that point, when I'm saying my family, not that you're not family, but I was talking about my wife, myself and my baby. And how do I put my family in a position where A, I can be a dad who's present, right? Because I had parents, both you and my dad were extremely present as a kid. I know that looking back and I knew that at the time. And so how do I be a present dad for my kid, right? How do I be a present husband for my wife? right? How do I not just be gone all the time? Because as a realtor, if you're selling 70 or 80 homes, anybody who's done that before knows very well, no matter how much leverage you have, if you're selling 70 or 80 homes, that is a lot of time on the phone. That is a lot of time on the email. That's a lot of time on text message. That's a lot of showings. That's a lot of listing appointments. That's a lot of lead generation time. It's a lot of missing time after hours and weekends. Right. And so I just kept thinking about what am I going to do such that I could build a true life by design, not by default? And if the purpose of money is to create the perfect life, not just believe that, oh, I just have to now go sell 100 homes. Like, how do I really go build that out? So meanwhile, I'd been flipping some houses okay. and having a lot of success. So now I'm on You my... and Sharon together. Yeah. So okay. we built a company. It was called Shark. It wasn't a company. We built, we had an LLC called Shark Investments was S-H-A-R for Sharon. And then the C, Shark was spelled with a C, C for Kobe. And so we were just doing a flip and we just kept turning that money and turning that money and turning that money. And, you know, we did some fun things with it on the side here and there, but like we bought a couple rentals and stuff like that, but mostly it's just like one flip at a time um, for a couple of years then. And okay. about, about five years, actually. And so I think and I, is the, can I ask you, is the last flip from Sharp Investments the minute Ronnie was born? 
Yes. So yes. <laughs> so yes, exactly. So like the last, pretty much the last flip as of shark investments was like Ronnie was born. We're in the hospital. The contractor's still sending me like pictures of like finishes on certain <laughs> oh. things. And then it went on the market the next week, but it was fine. That didn't take away much time. But um, so anyways, in the back of my mind, I kept thinking like, what am I going to do to push this to the next level? Meanwhile, you and I are running a real estate team, real estate business. We're having a ton of success and we're doing really well, but there was some element where it didn't need both of us at all times. Okay. And honestly, you have to look at in a business, you have to take your, we always talk about taking our ego out of the business and looking at it as a, like a holistic view. And when we did a holistic view, we, I think you and I would both agree that the right person to drive and lead the company of the social team retail, which again, retail is just your buying and selling, you mm -hmm. know, houses for clients as a realtor, you know, was you. And so I kept thinking that in the back of my mind, like, I might actually be at the point where my interest level has gone down a little bit on the retail side. Okay. You're driving it at a high level. And then am I holding it back? Okay. And it wasn't that I was uninterested in it. It was that I was starting to see potential on the investment side. Okay. And I felt like there was this amazing synergy because, you know, there just was. So I called you and I said, this was probably the biggest pivotal conversation in our business together was I said, like, mom, like, I believe that the way we're going right now with the exact same capacity, we could run two companies at one time. And I said, I could run the investment company and you could run the retail side of the business and we could go do crazy shit. Are marketing and networking intimidating prospects for you? Guess what? When you connect with me, they don't have to be. Thanks to the reliable tool that social media has become, you can reach out to me with any questions around real estate or marketing for real estate agents. Plug me into the search bar of Instagram or Facebook at Shoshana Socher and DM me so I can connect with you and tailor the content of this podcast to fit your needs. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing from you. Now, back to the show. And that was a hard conversation. I was scared. That is that. a hard conversation, isn't it? It's almost like a breakup, except for it's a happy breakup. Yeah, it wasn't. And, and the funny thing is like, you know, we were both a little sad, I think, because we had worked together for so long. And yet, you know, we're still in the same <laughs> office right now. We're three doors down from each other. Um, so, you know, um, so today now, can I give you a quick view of what life looks like today? Yes, yes, please okay. do. So today, what life looks like is on the investment side, um, our goal this year is to do 66 investment deals. I think we'll okay. be closer to 75. Okay. When you pause, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, when you say investment deals, are those are you buying every single one of those? Are you renting them? Like, what are you doing with them? Yep. So um, let me, I'll run you back on that. So okay. on the investment side of the business, so um, our goal is to do 66 deals. I think we'll do closer to 75 um, and, um, on wow. the, on the actual like personnel side, you have me sitting as the role of the leader and CEO. I have, um, an executive assistant who's a uh, pretty much operations director. We have a full-time virtual assistant who's in the background running a ton of different things on, on, um, systems you know, and systems yeah. and everything. Um, we have, um, as of three months ago, we have four full-time sales, um, associates on the acquisition side. And then we also have um, a uh, very part-time person who's helping us on the property management side and utility bills side. And do um, you have crews that you're running or? Yeah. So then on, and then on the construction side, um, we're running three crews at all times. So I have um, two crews that are running. Um, actually, it's more than three crews. I apologize. But it's, uh, we have three crews that are running on the actual construction so they do everything. So they're general contractors. Um, they're three crews of two to three people per crew. Okay. We keep them busy full time. We've kept them busy for almost two years now. Okay. Um, and then we have a full time paint crew. Um, so to, to back up, they're not looking for business elsewhere. They're not marketing themselves as no, no, because they're working no, full time for you. Yeah, and that's also a. It's a. I treat them well enough to where they shouldn't need to go. Nice. And find more business. Not that I'm holding them under contract. Okay. Right. Understood. And so then, they're not on your payroll per se. Mm -mm. And then we have a full-time paint crew. 
we essentially have a full-time, you know, uh, cleaning crew because mm-hmm. we keep them busy. They do a couple other jobs here and there. Um, we have, um, like three contractors that we're affiliated with that will do like the plumbing, electrical, um, stuff like that. And so then the one other that's like, trades. The yeah, any licensed trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. we've actually had to become a licensed and bonded contractor. We pull permits, we do everything. So we really become a full-fledged, you know, real estate investment company. And when I say real estate, everybody's like, well, what kind of real estate? And the answer, and I think this is like, if you're a realtor listening right now, I'll just pause and say, here is. Let me ask it. Yeah. Let me ask this question. Kobe, when you say real estate, what do you mean? What I always tell people, so we're, we're based out of Cleveland, Ohio, and we really sell real estate. Our, our, our business, our bread and butter has been real estate on the East side of Cleveland. And so what do I know better than anything in the world since I was 18? There's one thing I know. And I always tell people, they're like, well, what is real? What do you invest in? Would you invest here? Would you invest there? And I always tell people like, I do what I know. What I know better than anything in the world is mediocre homes on the east side of Cleveland. <laughs> and so I just have gone, again, I said I don't have a 50-50, but I've just gone all in on that. Right. Okay. So you're and now deep, I want to deep. <laughs> so now going back to what we do. So when we look at we say 66 homes for 2022 is our goal, right? Um, and are we are we allowed to talk numbers on here? Please talk numbers. Cool. So um our, our goal is to net $1.65 million um, in profit this year. Okay. So along to, with creating $12,000 in passive income. To, okay. Pause on that for a second, please. To net $1.5 million net. 1.65. So sorry. Sorry. I said that wrong. 1.65. Always trying to cut me short. Uh, about how much? About how much? Always trying to raise my financial thermostat. Um, mm-hmm. around how much would one have to gross in order to net that? Do you one, know? yeah, I can, yes, I, I have it right here actually in my notes. Give me 10 seconds if you don't mind. Not at all. Um, well, you look that up, I'm going to ask you. So, and then you talked about passive income. So I assume by passive income, you mean rentals and rental income and different things like that. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I'm about to explain that right now. So about three and a half million dollars. About three and a half million dollars gross in order to net one point six five million dollars in profit, because what you said at the very beginning of this podcast is that profit is really what was your motivator at the beginning. So profit remains a constant for you. Yeah, the purpose, the purpose of business, like, and I think this is again going back and forth between you know being a kid and being a man. And I think that when I look at when I'm 40 years old, so I'm like 31 now, right? When I'm 40 in, in nine years, 10 years, like I might look back and go, oh, I was such a kid then. And I think you're always kind of looking back and doing that, yeah, right? Like every yeah. couple of years, you look back and go, like, man, I knew nothing back then. Right. Look at what I know now. And then like in a couple of years now, I think I'll like laugh if I listen to this, right? So I think that it's like, um, I think that like looking back and forth at that kind of stuff, it's like just figuring out like if profit is the purpose of business, put the ego in the pocket. Right. And it's like, it's not truthfully, it's like not that sexy to be flipping, you know, 30,000, $50,000 houses and not the best, you know, like not the most fun places. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Going back to what we actually do though. So um, we flip houses. Okay. okay? We, um, so that means we buy, renovate, we improve the value of it. And then we put it back on the market on the retail side, which creates an amazing synergy because then the retail team gets a listing, right? Good. Great. Um, and then on the, uh, the next thing we do is we do what's called wholetailing. So wholetailing is where you buy a home under market value and you put it right back on the market and you list it. So Can you clarify, the, is that word whole, like W H O L E like whole, yeah, whole and then a tail, and then, like an and animal then a tail. Okay. Yeah. I, okay. I would say it's, yeah, I would I, <laughs> just yeah, asking. Yeah, I think it's T-A-L-E, but that's okay. I'm not <laughs> sure. We can figure that out. Anyways, um, so wholetailing. So we're buying it, you know, under market value, putting it right back on the market. Um, and that goes back to the retail team as well. So great question. If you're a realtor, if you're wondering like, oh, how do I do that? Well, figure out where you're getting money from. So either you need a hard money lender or you need cash in the bank or you need a family member or a business partner who has some cash. And a great question when you go to a listing appointment next is, you know, are you interested in listing this home on the market, paying a commission, you know, having inspections, going through the whole process, showing the home, everything like that? Or are you more interested in a uh, investor cash offer with a quick close, potentially no inspections, 
and no headaches. And, you know, if you need to live in here for a little while longer or whatever it is, like we'll figure out whatever's good for you. I want to be very clear to say that you may net a little bit less money, but it's a lot more of the easy solution. So are you looking to click the easy button or are you looking for, you know, top dollar out of this property? Okay. So, and so that's something again, now, if you have a retail team, that's a great question for every single listing appointment you ever go on to start asking, because the synergy that we've created now, which is really cool is Shoshana, you right there, you've actually brought in probably the top, mm -hmm. the top three deals that we've made profits on some of them over $150,000 in profit in one deal were from your listing appointments where they were like, you know what? Like, we don't really care about the profitability of the deal. There's four siblings involved. This yeah. is the parents' home. Like, we just want yeah. out. Yeah. Like, or we need out quickly. We It's not about the profits. And we'll show them. You should be honest and show them the seller net sheet differences, right? Oh, but I like, do, for sure. Right. People people give you that option. So that that's what wholetailing is. It's just buying it and putting it right back in the market. We might clean it up. We might, you know, maybe there's some stained carpet. We'll rip it up. Maybe it needs a tree taken down or landscaping. Like, But like nothing more than 2500 bucks all in. Okay. Then we rent houses out. So that's where you buy a home. You either rent it out right away or you might renovate it a little bit and then rent it. Um, and then we will also do, we do some owner financing. So owner financing is kind of the next evolution to where if you kind of have too much cash on hand, one of the great things you can do is buy a property, sell it with financing it. So you're the bank in that case, right? And you take an interest rate and then they pay you for 30 years instead of paying, let's say, Chase Bank or Huntington Bank or whatever it is. So that's kind of it allows us to, you know, flipping, wholetailing, you know, renting and then owner financing kind of allows us to do a little bit of everything. So we're able to look at deals in different ways. Right. We, we're not just a flipper. If you're just a flipper, you have one buy box. So do you it, feel well, do you a little bit? It's kind of funny with that college piece. I mean by now you've like gone to college of real estate, but did you like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's so funny. Like, how did you educate yourself to be able to analyze deal? Like what was the, I think it started with that first class we took called bold. You and I were both there together. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of opened my brain up to like, there's different types of education. And mm -hmm. I think it was, I always had, I think a value for education. Um, I had a really hard time reading as a kid, but as you know, but, um, I always listen to Audible and audio tapes or books, mm -hmm. you know, um, CDs back in the day. Um, and now I listen to Audible still an intense amount. Um, so I was reading books. And then we were in, you know, got lucky to be in a, uh, a you know, I would say in Keller Williams, which allowed us to, like, they have so much education, so many classes. I mean, a lot of brokerages do now, but back like in 2010, 2011, it wasn't a big thing for your brokerage to have education. Right. And so right, there right. was all these classes and people doing more than us that were teaching. And then I got into coaching and I was in business coaching for a while and different business coaching. And then okay. um, in the last, again, like I would say when I called you and we had that conversation of like, you should be the CEO of the real estate team and I should be the CEO of the investment company and we should run them in synergy together and we should pool resources and like do crazy stuff. I then said to you, but I'm not sure how, and I need to go find what I think of. I got to figure out who the smartest person is that I can find that I can learn from who's doing this at the highest level. And I think if you watch like any documentary of a, of a wealthy person or of a famous person, or, you know, you talk to business owners or anywhere you go, like the first thing they'll say is you need a coach or a mentor or someone to guide you, or you need to talk to people who've gone Been to the before. places that you want to go. Right, right, right. And so I spent that time kind of figuring it out. And then I found the person and I had to convince them to coach me. And that was an interesting ego check. And because <laughs> you're offering someone tons of money. That maybe and, doesn't want to talk to you. Yeah, I got told, I don't know if you have enough battery packs. I'm like, well, what does that mean? And he's like, well, I like to start with somebody who has, you know, like they're already charged up a little bit. <laughs> um, and so us doing, you know, 50, $60 million in volume in real estate sales and, and doing some flips here and there and buying a couple rentals wasn't good enough. Wasn't good enough. Huh? That's yeah. interesting. To push now to look back at it, like, you know, we just closed last month on 11 houses. Um, that's 17 units because a lot of them are two and three family homes. And just that alone will create, I don't know, eight to $10,000 in passive income per month. Did the, did the 19 year old you ever think you would say with a straight face that you closed on 11 properties in the same month? And you just said that very casually. 
I had a really strong mind. I think you know this. Like I've had a really strong mindset since a kid. And this, you know, if you don't know me, I guess you'll you'll just be like, oh, he's really cocky. Um, and if you do know me, maybe you'll say he's really cocky. Also, that's fine. <laughs> I don't I don't really care. But like, I guess to be quite honest with you, I think I always thought I was going to be worth multi million dollars. I always talked about as a kid, even to my friends, like being a billionaire. I talked about being a millionaire, and I don't think. I don't think I have a dollar number like being a billionaire is like necessarily what I need and a goal that I want. I don't think that would be how I could support my family best um, by being a dad and a husband um, or a sibling or a kid. But I definitely think that like I always had the idea that I was going to do whatever it took to become highly successful. And I think that was partly a chip on my shoulder that like I had a really hard time reading as a kid when I went to high school. Um, I had a really hard time in school because if you can't read well, you're going to have a hard time, you know, there. And I had a really hard time getting good grades and stuff like that. So you don't get pegged as like, I was never, I was always very social. So I had friends, but so you don't get pegged as like the stupid kid, but I definitely wasn't pegged as like the smart kid. And so I just had that chip on my shoulder again, where it was like, I'm going to become successful. And I feel like I tell myself I did it more for me than for anybody else. But I think anybody who understands what I'm saying, understands a little bit. Sometimes you have a chip. I get that. Well, let me ask you this. Were you a millionaire before you were 30? Yes. And that was purposefully driven, correct? Yeah. I told myself I was going to be a millionaire by the age of 25. Actually, in my first house on Woodway, um, which was the street that I lived on, I had a little office, which was like the middle bedroom. It was like eight by eight. And I actually, my friend and I, Eitan, um, he has better handwriting than me. So we sat down and we were like, I don't know, 18 years old. He was in college and I was here and, uh, we said, what are our goals? And we're like, let's be millionaires by the time we're 25. <laughs> and we, I love we actually wrote it in Sharpie on the wall that we'll be millionaires by age 25. And I took a picture on tw age 25 of him. And I was like, I didn't get there. But <laughs> I definitely was pretty, I'm pretty sorry. far along the road. Hey, let me ask you something. Um, I actually have never asked you this before. Um, in the reading world, as parents, we decided not to intervene. And this is outside of being a homeschooling family, which we were at the time, but we thought that our children were better left without diagnoses and without, um, you know, just without interventions. Now, as you know, obviously your youngest sibling has had a ton of interventions um, since she has Down syndrome. And I have seen targeted intervention really work in meaning like she was taught to read in a specific method. Do you ever wish that we had had intervened and done things differently in those younger years? No, honestly, you know, it's funny you ask that because I I've talked to Sharon about this before and I think I really appreciate the way I grew up. Um, you know, we grew up kind of differently than most families and like in a couple different ways. Like I think we were really broke, right? Growing up. Yes. But like, I think it was like this mindset of like, we're broke, but we're happy. True. And I think that allows you because like, you can be broken, happy, and you can be rich and happy. You can also be broken, depressed, and you can be rich and depressed, right? Or unhappy, if maybe not depressed is the right word. Um, On a educational level, I think I read this book um in the past five or seven years called The Strengths Finder. Okay. It's a really interesting book. And pretty much the concept behind the book is exactly, I think, what you and my dad did which is instead of focusing on your child or yourself's problems, which is what all society does is they are like, my kid has a problem with math. Okay, we're going to stick him into 47 after school math curriculum plans, you know, and we're going to pay a ton of money and we're going to only focus on his or her math and the fact that they're not good at it. Mm -hmm. And so the point of the book Strengths Finders was that instead, what if we were to take the massive strength that our kid had and pour into that, which again, goes back to my version of like, I don't right. have a 50, 50, right, right. I have an all, I have an all in mode on certain things. Right. right? And so, and, and I really believe that. I mean, I, I, I would say like, you know, like my girlfriend in high school, which is now my wife. And now, you know, uh, I, it was like, I was all in. I just didn't, I didn't veer. I didn't look a different way. Right. <laughs> and that. you look at like, as like everything in business, like, again, like, I got focused on like, I'm in residential real estate and I sell real estate and I stayed in our, we stayed in our lane and we just figured out how to go faster and forward. Yeah. And so, so going back to that, I'll just, just pause you for one second. Going back to that, I would say that 
I think that what you and my dad did really well is instead of saying, you can't read, you suck at math, you suck at these things. And by the way, just to fast forward, I couldn't read till I was 16 years old. And when I was 16 years old, my brain turned on in certain ways that it didn't turn on before. On that side, I was able to read, I was able to write, I was able to do math. Today, I analyze contracts, I do any type of real estate and 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 math and you know math equations. I can write a write. I can do spreadsheets. I can right. do the. I mean, I can do it all. I'm not like a, I don't avoid math. I love math. I don't avoid the contracts and the writing. I, I love it. So you know, it doesn't mean that you won't enjoy it at some point. But I think what you guys did well is you guys didn't scare me into you suck at this. You're not good at this. You won't ever be good at this. You scare. You turn me into like how can like what are you really good at and what can we focus on that you're great at and the positive attributes which is kind of like uh, Dan Sullivan's new book, The Gap in the Gain, yes. which is all about- Oh, yes. Good point. Which is all about like, how can you focus on the gain of the positive side versus the gap of the negative side? Yeah, I just read that book too. That's funny. We hadn't discussed that. Okay, so um, before we wrap, I'm going to ask you one thing. Hmm. In the, so let's just call it 15 to 20 retail deals that you will do this year, how- what would you say is like the key to success for why those clients came to find you? And then there's the other deals that you handed off to the team. They came to find you, even though at some level, you're actually doing something different. Yeah. Um, I allow the focus to be on the client when I'm working with the client. And so I get really, really, really service oriented. And I think that one of the best things that we can do in real estate is like, I always go to the analogy of like a restaurant right? Of a great restaurant. If you're at, um, if you're at a restaurant, like, and there's a hair in your food, which happens that it could be at the highest level or the lowest level restaurants. They have like two options. They can be like, suck it up. They can bring you, they can be like, we can, I guess we can get you a new meal. They can say, you know, or, or they can take it back. Like, we're so sorry. We'd love to make you a new meal. And then once they're making a new meal, you know, they come out afterwards like, like, hey, here's a gift card for your next meal. We'd love you to come back. We'd like, we really appreciate your business. We are uh -huh. so sorry for that. Uh -huh. And I've kind of gotten into that mindset because in real estate stuff happens. And I can't tell you that how often I pay for someone to have their house cleaned, right? Okay. Because like, I hate when someone moves into a dirty house. That's like the last taste they get in their mouth, right? It's like, you've gone through this whole real estate transaction. You've worked with them for six months. You've done such a great job. Then they go to move in and there's like holes in the wall and the house is dirty. So like, right. can we get a painter in there? Could we get a cleaning person in there? Could we like make, how do we make it so that they walk away with just like this feeling and then inside that just like, wow, I am amazed by the the level of service and care that person had towards my deal. The, the flip side being anytime you get to a transaction where there's just like this bad taste in your mouth, you get paid, you're, the chances of getting a referral are so low. Ah, and I love and that. what we've, what we've found over time is like the referral business is the best business. If you're newer in real estate, and you're working mostly with buyers and all you hear like people above you say like i feel like I, all i heard for five to ten years was you need listings 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 all the money's in the listings all the powers in the listings everything's in the listings i agree with you but meanwhile if you sell all you do a really great job and then you follow your plan which is what's gotten us to huge success which is soi marketing to your soi facebook and you know drip campaigns events all the different things that we do right then all those buyers turn into sellers right right and right. then you Eventually. just have endless listing if you've sold hundreds of homes you have hundreds of potential listings i love that i love so don't ignore your buyers mm -mm. can you say has there been one um thing in the last couple of years in terms of any kind of community involvement you've had or anything like that that you would peg to success not I don't know if I would say there's one thing that equaled every bit of success we've had, but there's a couple of funny things that have just kind of shaken out and happened. One of them being is I play softball and like two years ago, there was a softball team. It wasn't sponsored. We didn't have like cool swag. And so I was like, you know what? Like, why don't I just sponsor it? I'll pay for the team. And um, we ordered some really cool swag. Our marketing guy, Riley, made everything and it just came out awesome and everybody wore it like crazy and loved it. Like I even, I went all out, like matching socks and the cool <laughs> hats, not the crappy hats. And like the, like everything was like really, really nice, like Nike material for like the, the shirts and like buttons and stripes. And, and what's crazy is we looked back a year later last year 
And out of the 16 people on the team, Uh I think seven of them had done a piece of business with us since then. And so it was like every, and then since then, I think it's every single one of them. There's a couple of them that were like high schoolers, but like other than the high schoolers, and even then one of the high schoolers' parents sold their house with us. So it's like you you do something and you like create an impact that's not just like normal, but it's outstanding. And like it can really pay you back in cool ways. But you may not even just... you may not know this about the swag, but your cousin was visiting um from Hawaii this summer with same last name. And when he saw the swag in my closet, he was like, you know, because we had like the hats or whatever in the coat closet. He was like, what? These are so cool. I wish I had these. I love everything about them. So they really were very definitely appealing. I mean, I think it, it goes back to the same theme that we have with everything where it's like, if you half-ass with something, you're going to get half-ass results. And if you go all in on something, your chances of getting all in results are way better. And so I you can go that. create your luck by not going you know, 50% at something. And it's like, if you're like, well, and I think most realtors, they, they say like, oh, I'm going to go try something. And again, yeah, it goes back yeah. to that first conversation we had like, oh, I'll try this. And so they go do Facebook for a couple of days. Right. And then they don't hit results. They're like, eh, that didn't work. They're like, oh, I'll go try this. They go do pay-per-click advertising. They're like, oh, that didn't work. And, but probably their CRM wasn't set up correctly. Oh, I'm going to try doing a event. Right. Did our first event work? Mm, maybe, mm. but it didn't get momentum. Right. Number three, number four, number five, by going all in on something, you get this momentum. So really a lot of it is about the momentum. Do you study, um, also a question I really don't know the answer to, do you study human interaction or is it something that comes natural to you? Mm, I I love body language. I always look at body language. I look at even right now, like I, I'm sitting at the edge of my seat, right? I feel like if I was sitting like this, kind of like hanging out over here, I feel like I'd be like, all right, this guy's bored. Mm, mm. right so like I like being like into something so I, I definitely think that I read body language a lot um and I don't mind talking so <laughs> because I'm just thinking that part of the sphere piece is that you're engaging with other people but part of it is that also you have a very natural intuition so I've had deals before that I was struggling with and you were like oh mom you know what I wonder if they're getting divorced or I wonder if they're calling because they're really actually moving out of town or whatever. Like you've mm-hmm. had these intuitions about things that were going on. I was like, oh, I should have opened my eyes to that. And I just was wondering if that was something you study or if it's something that comes naturally to you. Mm. No, I don't know if it's necessarily something you study. I think that by asking the right questions and actually listening to people, you can learn a ton. And then I think that like on, you know, going back for a second. So the opportunity that I think anybody who might be listening to this has by listening the, I, I think that like, I always, as you know, I'm very bottom line focused, right? True. And one of the things I'm always is like, I want to get to the point. So I'm okay. always like, <laughs> where's the point, right? That's, I love books that are front loaded. Why do I love a front loaded uh. book? Means that like, you know, they tell you what you're going to get in the first chapter, which can make you decide if you're actually going to read the whole thing or not. And so I would say that like, if you're listening and you got into minute, what is it like 35 or 38 on this, whatever minute we're at, like, you know, I would say if you're wondering like, well, where, where did this go? And it's like, it's great watching a mother and son talk on cameras, but like, how did this, like, what do I get out of this? And here's what I would say your opportunity is. And it doesn't need to be that your son's in the business. Doesn't need to be your business partners in the business, because I know a lot of people who've done this on their own. Okay. And I don't think you need a huge team. I don't think you need a huge team and I don't think you need a massive organizational chart, but I think you could ask yourself, what opportunities do I have as a residential realtor other than helping people buy or sell a home? And then the next thing I would be asking yourself is how do I make it in my own head that I'm an investor? And I would just kind of come up with your criteria of what you would invest in. So for me, I told you guys, it was mediocre homes, the east side of Cleveland. I wanted them less than 100 years old. I wanted them less than four bedrooms. I wanted them less than three bathrooms, right? I wanted it to be that the the, the basement walls were cinder block, not clay block, because I knew that clay block had more issues than cinder block, right? I didn't really want to deal with roof and windows at the beginning. Like I wanted to, you know, I, and so try to get your, figure out what your buy box is. And anytime you see something that comes up in that buy box, 
how can you be in a position to jump? Because what you might be missing out there is you go in and you're like, man, I don't even want to go to this listing appointment for a $120,000 house that's going to end up with a you know a $3,800 commission that by the time it goes through you know, the brokerage and taxes and expenses and marketing, whatever else I have, I end up with 1500 bucks in my pocket, right? What you might be missing is that that same $120,000 house could be that with the right, you know, pieces put in place, how could you make it so that that makes you 75 grand this year? I you love know? that for that. And so it's like, instead of the buy yeah. income, or if you're one person, how do you get to buy it? How do you get yeah. the dual income? Yeah, right. So it's that. like, and you're already doing it. So instead of saying like, how do I side hustle, you know, an Amazon marketplace or how do I side hustle on Etsy or how do I, you know, right. also do DoorDash six other things or whatever. Yeah. Right. Like instead of, well, DoorDash is probably for like a, you know, not to be rude, but like a level down, but I'm talking about like, instead of like, how do I open up another business? How do you do that within your business? Oh, I so see. like everybody as a realtor has this opportunity right now to go, instead of like, how do I sell this? It, the question should really be, how do I buy this? I and that's, that. so if you were to like, how do I get out of, what do I get out of today's conversation with Kobe and Shoshana? My goal would be like your marketing methods, right? So you take your marketing methods, you go get all of your SOI deals, you go get, which oh, is sphere, sphere of influence, you get all the people calling in, you get anybody you possibly can who wants to help, you know, who wants to sell a house, right? And when they go to sell a house, you should be coming up with the right script and dialogue to, you know, the question, the answers of, and the questions and answers of, you know, would you rather sell this as a fast cash offer to an investor? And that's the you as the investor, or would you rather sell this on the market and pay a commission? What's better for you? And you're not doing what's better for you as a realtor. You're doing what's better for you as a client. That's servicing your client at the highest level is doing what's best for them. And right. so once you do that, then how do you take it from, you know, you get all the deals for your marketing methods, which is how our business has organically grown, right? True. So Shoshana brings in the opportunity. And then my job on the investment side or your job, whoever's job it might be at that moment is to then turn that into an investment. They can go create way more opportunity than a commission could ever do. I love that. Wow. Thank you. On that note. This Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on. Have a good Anytime. day. Anytime. Cannot Bye. wait. Bye.